0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So last week, we started a very short sermon series, just three weeks, um, up until I get to take a deep breath. A, sh- a short sermon series focused on this intersection that we find ourselves in in this moment right now. And again, today, particularly in this congregation, kind of highlights this intersection. That as we take more steps forward, kind of back into some sense of normalcy around this entire pandemic. Like I said, with so many of us you know, vaccinated and therefore you know, welcome to de-mask in worship. It's just a small sign of what all of us are experiencing this summer, being able to re-engage back into the world in so many ways. And there's so many cool stories that pour out every single week of being able to go and do something that you haven't done in a year or connect with family that you haven't seen in person in a year. I'm sure if we spend some time and just shared stories, it'd be story after story of new stuff that is happening. And I want you to hear from the church that we pray that this is just one of the best summers Ever. For you, Really, really want that. I hope that this summer is fabulous and creates just that much more meaning than even a typical summer. But this sermon series is built around the idea that that awesome summer is not separated from our faith. It's not something different than our faith. We are also entering now this third week of what we call the season of Pentecost, and the season of Pentecost is where we proclaim and live out the truth that the Spirit of God is found not just in the temple or in the places that we identify as sacred. The whole point of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit of God is unleashed on the entire world. And so wherever this summer takes you, we pray that as you go, you would lean into the ways that God will show up there in the ordinary and the everyday with great curiosity, purpose, And intentionality. Don't show up to your summer mindless of what it is that God is doing in the midst of your summer. And last week we began looking at we called it God God in the bleachers and looking at how you know so many of us are doing sports. We've got kids that are you know going to be at four eight shows livestock shows any place where we kind of find ourselves on a bleacher supporting one another. We said God is there. We read a story about how God creates community around us and how we are called to be that community that loves, supports and cares one another. It is a way of being Christian even on the side of a ball field. Today our sermon is called God on the Menu and you can probably figure out where I'm headed, but nevertheless, one of the memories that I will always keep with me post vaccination was the first time Jenny and I went out on a date to a restaurant. To just eat. And this, now we've been doing some carry out and all that. And there was, there was one time we went out, but it was like right dead smack in the middle of the pandemic. We had just sold our house. So we said, all right, this is worth test taking a risk. So we did go out once. That didn't, that didn't really count. And we've done some stuff with our kids, but that's not a date as most of you well know. So that first time that we went out, just the two of us to go to a restaurant and eat is something I will always remember. And we went, and I I don't intend to do commercials, but today is going to be a commercial. We went to this little place, this new place in Westminster called the Lost Lion. Anybody been there? Anybody been to Lost Lion where the old Papa Joe's used to be? Right next to the coffees. All right, I know what y'all are doing the next week or so. For two people who honeymooned in Ireland, the, the idea of going to any place that had, like, pub atmosphere is just where we want to live. Okay, that's just, you, you slap pub on any restaurant, we'll go there at least once. And if it's half decent, we'll go there ten times. Like, we, that's just our environment as a, as in, in our relationship. So we rolled up and I'm faced with the perpetual problem that we all face when we go to a restaurant. And you know this question. Especially when you go to a new place, you're like, do I get something basic? You know, do I get something I'm familiar with? Do I get the burger, the salad, or or a steak? Just something that you could get anywhere just to make sure that you have a good meal, or do you do something adventurous? And if you were to answer that question, I would learn a lot about your personality. I am a just-get-the-normal thing. When I go out to lunch, I can tell tell a lot about your restaurant by how you make a Reuben. That is my go-to lunch sandwich. There are restaurants that do it well, there are restaurants that do it terrible, and you see me at the ones who do it well. But nevertheless, I'm looking over the menu, and it was like as if a light shone down from heaven. No, it wasn't an actual light from heaven, but it was almost like a light in a very surprising way. They had this thing on the menu called the Far East Burger. Now there's a couple problems with this. First of all when I go to a pub I'm not thinking far east. Right? No offense. Those are I I love far east food. I love pub food. I just don't look for my far east food in an English style pub. I'm like that's odd. And then I'm looking I'm looking through it and like the first thing that I notice is it's got this asian slaw on it which I'm like I like slaw but that's for my grandmother to do not my restaurant, you know. There's all these pickled veggies, kind of the same jam, like I love things that are pickled, but that's more of a home flavor than something I want to order when I go out. like, yeah, whatever. But then I back up a little bit, and it says that it's a pork patty. I'm like, ooh, now that's a win. Y'all know I'm I'm like, I'm I'm all in on finding ways to use pork, and pork as sort of a burger is really underrated in in my estimation. That's no offense to beef, but pork as a burger is really underrated. I'm like, okay, now I'm at least interested but not quite enough, and then I keep reading, and tucked away in the description, small and nondescript, as if it was an apology rather than a feature, I read Scrapple, thank you. <laughs> Yo, somebody's putting Scrapple on a sandwich, give me all of that. Some of you, uh, thank you, uh, look, the amens that I got out of a whole bunch of Germans over Scrapple just amuses me to no end. Some of you hate it, I am. I am devoted to scrapple. There's a little corner of heaven that you go and grill it up. All right, you'll see me sitting there. All right, and you can eat all of it and it won't affect your heart when you're in, when you're in heaven. Love love scrapple. And I I have never seen a place put it on a sand, on a dinner sandwich before. <coughs> all right, give me two of those. And so they bring it out It's this huge, juicy pork burger on it, and I gotta go looking for the Scrapple again. It was almost like they were apologizing for it. I think they need to make this a feature. And I took that first bite, and it was just all over my shirt and all over the place, and it was glorious. Not to mention I really liked my date. I feel like I should come back and say that the date was was really awesome as well. But it was fabulous. And in that moment, I remembered what a joy it was to be out with the person that I love the most at a place that's just fun and exciting. The place was full that night, which I hadn't experienced. You know, there's an energy when a restaurant's full and people are having a good time. It was good food, just a great vibe, and it meant so much. After a year of pizza and McDonald's and like pasta out of a box, and I love you, hun, but I mean, we've all been doing this kind of stuff, and to just sink my teeth into something adventurous like that was just a joy. So I wonder, what's the best bite of food you've ever had? Now, there are, of course, several ways to answer this question. I have little doubt that all of us could answer it in multiple ways. You have a favorite restaurant that serves something that is just, mm, just right there for you. I have little doubt all of us would have like a family recipe that just, the, the memories come flying back every time you make this particular dish. Maybe there are some old favorites that you go back to. You know, a little pizza place that you like their pie just a little bit better than somebody else. And other times, there are other memories tied in. I remember the best bite of pizza I ever had was from a horrible pizza place, but I had just fasted for 40 hours. And it didn't matter what they put in front of me, that pizza was going to be the best thing I'd ever eaten. What's the best bite of food you ever had? I suspect you have one, and I suspect when I said that, a bunch of stuff just came flying back into your head. Surely there are many places in the world where you experience that feeling of goodness. But surely there are few as universally shared experiences as the one of food. One of the things I've heard from you all in the last few months is that you've started slowly but surely getting out and eating. And a terrific meal, a good drink, good company certainly have all the earmarks of spirituality, do they not? When we have a good bite and we're in a good vibe, it indicates that we're participating in something that is larger than us. And therefore, because it's bigger than us, it's a place where spirituality, where spiritual formation can happen. This is where the preacher kind of ruins that thing for you. But God is present in that space, and there's something profound about that experience. Today, I'd like to reflect on that for a moment, and I want to begin by reflecting on it in the scriptures by starting in the beginning, In the beginning, we're going to look at the creation account for a moment. Now, to shift gears here a little bit, we spend a lot of time in church not talking about our best bites of food. We spend a lot of time in church circles talking about what's wrong with the world. And when we do that constantly, sometimes, sometimes, quietly, maybe unspoken, maybe even unnoticed, our discussions about creation, about the world that we find ourselves in, these words, and God saw that it was good, Sometimes we tell this story as if the more glorious we make that original creation, the bigger we make the fall. Sometimes it feels like we only tell the goodness of God so that we can ramp up just how terrible humans are. We talk about how wonderful the world was created, how beautiful everything was, how in sync and in tune the world was, how everything was provided for, how much abundance there was for everything, only to watch it all fall away, When the serpent lies to Eve and Adam takes and eats this fruit with this Shakespearean drama. You can almost imagine reading this story going, Adam, no. Nevertheless, it happens. And sometimes in church, the story of the fall is the story we're most interested in. How did it all go so terrible, terrible wrong? And it's possible then when we do this, when we put Genesis 1, this creation account, Genesis 2, a second creation account, and Genesis 3, the fall, when we stick that all together, the lasting impression that we have is one of sin. But when we do this, and I'm not saying sin's not present, but when we do this, when that's how we read that story, we set ourselves up to see a world that is only broken, is exclusively tragic is unquenchably sinful. And that starts to shape our eyes. It starts to shape how we think about the world, how we see things in the world. Yes, the fall matters. Yes, sin has turned the world. But does our sin, this is what I want you to think about, does our sin rule out the power, beauty, and abundance of God? Is our sin bigger and more powerful than God's abundant creation? If it is, that is a heck of a claim to make. Really, we're saying the things we do are more powerful, are more influential than the God who made it all and saw that it was very good? Hardly. We are not so sinful that God's creation doesn't remain a remarkable, beautiful place to be. We so often ascribe way too much power to ourselves and way too little to the abundant God of the universe. Yes, it's true, sin happened, and our experience of God's goodness is damaged. But God's goodness and God's inclination to bless remains unchanged. Sin, then, if we believe in this abundant God who has not changed one bit, sin in this context might be thought of, then, as this broken relationship between God and ourselves that we're no longer able to see God's abundance. That sin is lacking vision to be able to see how God continues to bless and focuses only on our own shame. But God's abundance has not run out. And when God's abundance meets our attention and awareness and it meets our actual lives, a new way of seeing the world and being in the world emerges. This is the story of the wedding of Cana. John puts this story, this first miracle, at chapter 2. Chapter 2, he introduces Jesus, and then this is the first story he wants to tell. And he puts it there for a reason. He wants to make the point that, that in Christ we are experiencing the remarkable abundance and beauty of God. In this wedding scene, and you've read it multiple times, you've heard it at weddings, certainly. In this wedding scene, we feel this pinch of brokenness. Something's wrong, Right? And any of us who have ever had to run an event know what, like, this tension of, like, we ran out of wine? How exactly did we do that? Like, that's not great. Like, this is, this is not good. You can feel that pinch that there's lack, there's not enough. That sort of brokenness not having enough leads us to social embarrassment. We've all been there too, right? And this pinch of brokenness that the steward feels is representative of the ways that we all feel brokenness in our lives, where we don't feel like we have enough, where we're socially embarrassed, we're separated from one another, we're in a tight spot. And Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him and asks him to try to figure it out. Isn't that what we want Jesus to do? Jesus, my life is not right, please come fix it. And Mary doesn't really know what to say other than anything different than you and I would say. We're like, Jesus, just come fix it. And that's basically what Mary says. She's like, um, Jesus, you want to do something about this? And he's like, really? As an aside, Mary's question in and of itself is a remarkable reminder that the work of God involves the minutia of our lives. It's important to know Mary feels it and she goes and asks Jesus, hey, can we get some more wine? Like, Jesus cares about these things, which is a profound theological statement in and of itself, but we'll talk about that some other time. And Jesus answers, my time has not yet come. What he's thinking in the moment is that meaning, I have not yet come to the moment where I will set all things right in the cross and resurrection, But Jesus, as we often do with our mothers, like we hear it and then we got to sit with it for a little bit and then we're like, oh, that's what she meant. Okay. And Jesus goes to work. He has the servants fill up the jars of water. They take them to the wedding planner. The wedding planner dips in and tastes it and he's like, oh, this is good. And then he goes back and he doesn't compliment Jesus because he doesn't know where it's come from. He goes to the couple. I love this. The steward gets it all wrong. He goes to the couple and he says, usually folks break out the good stuff early so that you, know, you get a little you know, happy, you're enjoying your time and then, then we give you the cheap stuff. He says, you have saved the best for last. Jesus' abundance reflects really well on this couple. Not only is this a wonderful wonderful story of a rectified situation where Jesus does put this little thing back together, it is a theological statement about the goodness of God. Not only does our sin, not only do our failures not nullify God's goodness, but in Christ there's even this sense of an even more abundant goodness that is breaking forth. Indeed, one of the prayers that we pray on Good Saturday, the day of Holy Saturday, the day before Easter, Usually prayed it in an Easter vigil, and it's the, it's a really provocative line. It's called the exaltet. and in that prayer we boldly pray, "O happy fault, O necessary sin of Adam, which gained for us so great a Redeemer." Hear that line again, "O happy fault, O necessary sin of Adam, which gained for us so great a Redeemer." Folks, Jesus is not just duct taping the world back together. He's not just taking a bunch of binder twine and trying to just knot it enough times to keep you from coming apart and keep the world from coming apart. Jesus is making it better than it was. He's making it new and he's basing that newness on love and on grace and we are awash in that love and goodness whether you know it or not. The the core reality of our world is not that it is broken, though it is. The core reality of our world is that God is present in it and God's goodness is seen everywhere. An important theological quip goes like this. One sees what they expect to see. If we step out of these doors and go into the world and we, expect, we step back into the world looking for sin and readying ourselves for judgment, we'll find it. We ain't got to work hard to find judgment and sin in the world. But when we do that, it erodes us. It spiritually deforms us. But when we step into the world looking for goodness, we can't help but sing of the Redeemer. And we can't help approach our lives in a different way. Again, not to say that there aren't bad things in the world, but our disposition is aimed in an entirely different direction. So when we step into a restaurant, or wherever you find yourself awash in enjoyment, we are, not just, we are not just lucky to kind of have some scraps that fall from God's table, who is trying to punish us, and somehow we manage to find a good meal here or there. Rather, when we experience those moments of transcendence, we step, we realize that we are already living in a world where the abundance and goodness of God is the rule, not the exception. And that can change our life. Acknowledging God's goodness in that moment is a small but critical step in our formation as believers in a good God who's bringing about a redeemed world. So what do we do in those moments? What do you do when you're, headed to, when you're headed to lunch this afternoon or you've got a dinner date planned later this week or you're looking forward to going to a, you know, your favorite place, you go there once a year, you're looking forward to that sometime this summer. Well, take some of the small steps. Say grace. Like, Out loud. I know y'all are real pious and we just kind of do the moment of silence. No, say it out loud. Just say thank you. While you're there, tell good stories. Don't be like, how's your day? Fine. Tell the good stories and listen deeply to the stories of others and listen in wonder because they're full of them if we have ears to hear. And if we can't hear it quite yet, well, that's what spiritual formation is all about. We're getting better at this. Do the little things to see God's abundant love all over the place. Now, some of you might say, and this is where I want to land the plane, this is another message. Some of you might say, but the world isn't good for everyone. Well, sure. Of course it's not. And communities of faith ought to center and prioritize the needs of the poor, the marginalized, the rejected, and the vulnerable. The sting is not the absence of God's goodness, there is plenty, but rather that we acknowledge that there is ways in which we as humans are incapable of extending that goodness to others and make sure everyone gets to participate in, that God, in God's abundance. We do not lack, we just don't, we're just not good enough at making sure that everybody has. And so a nice meal, a great drink, a sweet dessert can and should increase our desire for justice and for equality. If I'm having this blessing, I should pray my neighbor has this blessing as well. There's enough goodness to go around. In God's abundance, I lose nothing. When my neighbor gets something, I'm not left out. And in this way, our experience of God's abundance drives us to actively seek God's abundance for others. Which brings me to the point of public service announcement. My wife, I get this from the very highest authorities. My wife Jenny was a waitress for 10 plus years. And she would always come back. She often works Sundays, judge away. She'd make better tips on Sundays. Except for this one little annoying fact. You know who the worst tippers in the world are? And she would swear every single week, it is church people who go to lunch after church. She said they don't tip. And then what you often get are the little gospel tracts that look like money. Yeah, that's not cool, bro. Don't do that. Like, just as a friend, do not do that. Church people who are out of church. How amusingly pathetic the people who proclaim the abundance of God in a pew are so stingy at a table. So extend God's lavish abundance to others. Leave a tip. Not 15%. Open a wallet. You could do 20. It'll be fine. I promise. There's enough goodness to go around. But in doing that, we receive the abundance of God's goodness and we pass that abundance on to others. We participate in the cycle of God's abundance. And in doing so, we extend this remarkable world that God has created and is redeeming. This world that is not utterly, finally known by sin, but the world that we live in that is a good world, a gift to us all, where there is enough for all. Amen.